Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the only podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history, and its people. Your host, Roberto Matza, will bring you guests discussing their relationship with the Holy City. A journey through history, society, feelings, and hopes for the future. Follow the podcast on all social media platforms at Jerusalem Unplugged. Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history, and its people. I'm your host, Roberto Mazza, and today it's with great pleasure that my guest is Professor Ilel Cohen. Professor Cohen is Associate Professor in the Department of Islamic and Middle East Studies at Hebrew University, and is the author of a, a number of very influential and very famous books, all published in uh, uh, three languages, Arabic, Hebrew, and English. So just to mention two, uh, which certainly impacted my own work and understanding of the city. And one is 1929, the year zero of the conflict, and lately the rise and fall of Arab Jerusalem. So we're definitely going to talk about uh, 1929, the events that unfolded uh, in Jerusalem and at large in Palestine, and obviously later on the question of 1967 and the politics of Jerusalem after uh, let's say, the uh, reunification or whatever word we want to use. So when the east and west side of Jerusalem were brought together after the uh, six-day war. But first of all, Ilel, welcome. Thank you very much for this invitation. So Ilel, the first question that I ask all of my guests is, what is your Jerusalem? In other words, what is your connection with the city? Well, uh, my Jerusalem is uh, my homeland, my town, my city, the place that I was born, uh, the place that I actually I live here for all my life, which is uh, 60 years. So I uh, consider myself one of the veteran citizens of Jerusalem. Uh, I think that uh, 80% of the population of Jerusalem are younger than me. So. Uh, yeah, so, so most of my memories of childhood, of uh, adulthood, of uh, first loves, of whatever, are from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the environment where I feel best, you know. Uh, this is home. And this is a basic uh, issue, you know. It's not about politics, it's not about religion, uh, it's not uh, even about uh, economic situation. It's about uh, the feeling of home. And then uh, you have the uh, another floor on it, which what kind of home you want to have. But uh, but this would we might talk uh, afterwards. Yeah. So talking about home, and I do apologize in advance for giving away your date of birth. But you were born in 1961, if Wikipedia is correct. You were born before the city was brought together by the Six Day War. So I was wondering for you, how was growing up? in a city that was first divided and then as a result of a war and conflict was brought together? This is a very good question because uh, I was a kid, I was five and a half year old, uh, more or less uh, in 67, but I do remember the war and I do remember the, the two, three years before the war. I mean, uh, I remember the wall 
I mean, not the ancient wall, but the Beton Wall at the end of Jaffa Street, when you come from uh, West Jerusalem towards uh, the J Jaffa Gate. So I remember the wall where the buses had to stop and then to go back. And I remember also the Mandelbaum Gate. Mandelbaum Gate was the official gate between between Israel and then Jerusalem of jo under Jordan. And we used to go, I, I come from uh, an Orthodox Jewish family. Uh, my uh, mother immigrated uh, to Israel in uh, 33 from uh, Poland. And my, my father immigrated 20 years later from Afghanistan and they met in Jerusalem. And we lived quite close to the Mandelbaum Gate. And we used to go, you know, on Shabbat, on Saturday, you go all the family and you walk around and they enjoy Shabbat that there are no cars in the streets and so on. And we used to go quite frequently, as far as can recall, maybe it's my imagination, but we used to go to the border, to the gate, Mandelbaum Gate, and we saw the Jordanian policemen and, and, and my parents used to say, you know, the other side is the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, on the other side, there, 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 this is a place of the Temple Mount. This is a place in which we are going, inshallah, we say, or Bezat Hashem, probably, uh, to build the Third Temple. So this, this was kind of a part of my upbringing, the knowledge that there, there is another side of, of Jerusalem, which is now, I mean, until 67, occupied by an enemy. And that there is a vision, and the vision is that, of course, the Jews would would, would be a, a sovereign all over Jerusalem and have the Temple Mount and rebuild uh, the Temple. And and I have maybe this is part part of it is the fact that I am I am Cohen, the family of Cohen. This is a family who used to work in the in the Temple, so it was part of the family tradition. So this is this is a this is a kind of background before '67, and I also remember the first time or the first times. I guess I merged a couple of first times that I visited the old city of Jerusalem, uh, just a couple of days after the war, because the war was in June, and in, in a, a, a couple of days after the war, it was Chag Shavuot, uh, and. and you know, I, I think, I don't know if it was 50% or 70% or 30% of the Jews of, of, of Jerusalem, they just went out of their homes and went to the Western world for the first time. And we saw, and I remember, I mean, but I, I can admit that maybe these memories are from the second or thir third uh, visit to the old city. I remember the, the, the Arabs or Palestinians in the streets of Jerusalem, in the bazaar, in David Street, in Bab Khanizet, looking at us and even as a kid I, I i i try to understand their the way they look at us if there is a hatred or a surprise or what and since then there's the old city of jerusalem and the arab neighborhoods around there's the old city of jerusalem a silwan a tour and then later all the area of jerusalem you know anata and shuafat and bet hanina became part of my, of, of my, of my, uh, uh, I would say, enlarged neighborhood. I mean, places that I visit uh, and, 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 and try to understand and to, yeah. So this is Jerusalem for me. I mean, Jerusalem of, Jerusalem of the past, of ancient past, and Jerusalem of, of dreams about the future. And at the same time, place that there are other people who live here. And, and, and you feel even as a kid, that there is a kind of contradiction between between the your religious uh, visions and the and the daily li lives of other people. Okay, so 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 I think I started quite early because I was interested in Arabic from childhood. So I started to study Arabic and to to talk in Arabic and to listen to. To, to Palestinians in the old city of Jerusalem and in the neighborhoods and the villages around uh, Jerusalem, to hear what they think about Jerusalem and what is uh, you know what is Judaism for them, what is Islam for them, what is the the war about, the conflict about. So from quite young age, I was you know involved in this. I would say even internal debate about what is Jerusalem for different people and for me.
you started answering a question I wanted to ask you about how you started your interest, uh, you know, just not just academic, but interested in the history of Jerusalem and obviously also in the relationship between Jews, Israeli and, and Palestinians. And so I, I'm aware of the fact that you worked as a journalist uh, for Kolahir for uh, a few years. And I was wondering if perhaps the work as a journalist, as a reporter, influenced your academic career, or you already had some ideas about trying to go deeper into the question of the relationship between uh, people? I think that uh, both, uh, both my work as an academic and beforehand as a journalist were, were, were a result of my interest in, in the field. And, and for me, you know, in a sense, the memories of, of uh, you know, I started, I remember the first time that I went with a friend uh, to Silwan, we were nine years old. So it's more than 40 years that I'm, you know, immersed or interested at least in Palestinian society. It's too much to say in Palestinian society, but that, that I'm in contact with Palestinian society. And I started to talk Arabic when I was 14 or so. And I, I, I left high school when I was 15, uh, a couple of months after my birthday of 15, and and and, uh, and and I I spent a lot of time in the villages around Jerusalem and in the West Bank in general and in 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 refugee camps and so on. So 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 my interest in history was a result of these meetings with old people in in refugee camps and villages. And when I heard them, I understood that there are different uh, versions of history, what uh, today people like to say or to call narratives. So I didn't refer to it as narrative, but I, when I heard the stories about, you know, when you sit in uh, in cafes at homes of, of of people, people at that time, I, I speak about 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 the early 70s, the late 70s, much more than today, the the, the, the custom to invite people to 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 your home and to talk to among Palestinians were was much more widespread than today. So it was very common, you know, I visited dozens, I can say hundreds of, of, of homes until I, before, before I was 18. And uh, uh, most in the villages around Jerusalem, I would say between, between, between Hebron and, and Nablus, all of the West Bank, people would invite you and, 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 and talk to you about everything. And many cases they would talk about history in different different uh, periods of time. I mean, some people in refugee camps would talk, would talk about about uh, the period before the Nakba, about the life during the British mandate and the relation with Jews at that time and so on. And other people would uh, would go back and tell a history uh, as a history of of Jerusalem in its its the glory of Jerusalem, uh, the days of Omar ibn al Khattab. And Saladin and, and so on. So and and it is part, you know, when you sit with with, with these people and they t tell, they tell this hadith or these stories about ancient times. You know, for me, it's like to sit uh, in our synagogue and to hear about King David and King Solomon. And so so you hear stories and you see the, the love of people to their traditions and and to their history and and to certain, uh, you know, personalities in history that. And, and, and of course, you have in many of these stories, you have elements of the Jewish-Muslim relations in the past. For example, uh, Omar ibn al-Khattab, when he entered Jerusalem, he was accompanied by uh, Ka'ib al-Akhbar, according to Muslim tradition, a Jew who was converted into Islam. And he uh, went with, with, the with the Caliph Omar to, to, to Al-Aqsa. Uh, and they uh, discussed where to build the mosque there. So this is a very famous tradition, and I remember how I heard it from an old Palestinian. And maybe he was very young for me, he was old because I was 15. And, and I remember uh, the first time that I heard about, about Saladin. I remember I was sitting in Souk al Katanin, the cotton market in the old city of Jerusalem, and I entered a small shop there, and someone said, Faddal, and he served me a cup of tea, and he started to 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 talk about 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 the history of the Crusades and the history of Salah al-Din of Saladin, 
and and I, I remember my, my my Arabic was I was a beginner. I was maybe 13 or 14. And and, and I remember he said Ricardo Calbel Assad, which is a Richard Lionheart. But I didn't understand it because I, I, I didn't notice that he said Kalb el Assad. Now in Arabic, Kalb is heart, but Kalb is dog, and Assad is lion. So I said, what does it mean, Ricardo, the dog of the lion? So it took me a while to understand <laughs> that Kalb el Assad is the lion heart and, and that he is speaking about about the, 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 the crusades and, and but 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 these, of course, are anecdotes, but but this is was actually the gate through which I entered the, the, the history of Jewish-Muslim relations in Jerusalem. And, and, and uh, in a sense, these lessons from the shopkeepers, from the fellahin, from the uh, people of, of, of Silwan and of Hanata, of Hizma, uh, uh, refugees from uh, Al-Maliha, what I learned from them is, is this is a, is a basis which is, for me, much more precious than, you know, what you study at school or read in books and so on. You know, maybe also because of the age. You know, when you are very young, you are much more uh, easy to be influenced or be inspired. So so this was the basic. And, 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 and then I started, when I think, of Jerusalem, I think of Jerusalem not only of Jewish Jerusalem, I think also of Muslim Jerusalem, and to a lesser degree on Christian Jerusalem, because I'm much less fam familiar with uh, Christian traditions and so on. So it's everything is personal. This is, you know, the way I see it. You mentioned something very important uh, that perhaps interests only historians, but I feel like it has a very important impact on society. In the past, six decades or so, it looks like the history of Jerusalem and of Palestine has been hijacked by politicians or by people with a specific agenda. And that popular history that you are talking about either disappeared or it became connected to specific claims. Like you mentioned at the very beginning, uh, you know, your parents had ideas about the third temple, but these were desires. Now that has become part of a the narratives, right, of, of certain political groups, or even on, on the other side, uh, and I always think about uh, your work, which also connects with mine, like uh, the place of Al-Burak, so the tethering place of the, uh, of the stallions, right, of, of the Prophet Muhammad, which used to be located in one specific mosque and location underneath, but now it has become more like uh, spread it throughout the, the, the Western world. So essentially all of these places have changed meanings. And I was wondering how you feel about this changing history. Well, I, I don't think that the, the usage of history as a political tool is, uh, is a new, uh, you know, a, a new phenomena. Uh, it was the same, uh, you know, all the idea of, of, of history started with holy history which means uh, the history that tells why we are right and the other side is wrong and why this land belongs to us and not to other people. So it's not like a new phenomenon. We, we use the new tools uh, to spread uh, these notions, but it, it, I think, I feel that it is more or less the same uh, throughout uh, history because when you read chronics from, from, from medieval times and they would have the same uh, debates uh, about Al-Aqsa, uh, they would have polemics between uh, Jews and Muslims and Christians, uh, whether the, you know, the Jewish people is still the chosen people or not the chosen people anymore. So, so, so you have the, the same, and, and you and you bring history as evidence uh, or as a proof to, to 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 what you believe. So, so, so we we start usually. I mean, most people start from beliefs and ideas, and they they they, they look for. Uh, the tools uh, to to prove uh, that what they believe is is true. Uh, uh, so in in this sense, you know, when 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 I uh, recall uh, the story that I heard as a kid, it was also uh, aimed at a political. Sometimes it it had political aims. For example, when when, when Palestinians tell me about a good relation between Jews and Muslims under Saladin. The message is, 
You see, when we were in power, we gave you full rights. And why do you confiscate our land? So, 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 so in many times you have this hidden or less hidden agenda when you speak history. In, I, I, in this sense, I don't see a huge, a huge change. I want to bring you to your work, year zero of the Arab-Israeli conflict, 1929, an acclaimed work, but it also received a lot of criticism. It's available in uh, certainly Hebrew, English, and, and Arabic. And it's very much about the events of 1929. Some people stop only thinking about your claims that this is the beginning of the conflict, but I think that is a superficial reading. Uh, and others are looking at your interpretation of uh, what happened in 1929. So I want to start from there. What is 1929? Why do you think is uh, the year zero of the Arab-Israeli conflict? Well, uh, I must admit that the definition of uh, 29 as year zero it was the decision of the publisher, not mine. And it's it's funny, but uh, you know, I didn't have the energy to 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 argue. I, I, the, uh, my term was different. I I, I said it, it is a year. Uh, I called it uh, in Hebrew "shnata shevel," the year of the crack or the year of the. I, I don't argue really, and I, even in the in the in the introduction, I write this is not the real year zero of the conflict because, of course, it's not that. There was no difference between Jews and Arabs and Jew, or Jews, Christian and Muslims before 1929. But I mean that it was very important year for the consolidation of the terms of the conflict in a couple of very serious terms. I mean, from uh, mainly from from Jewish perspective. And the, uh, the main issue from Jewish perspective was that until 1929, many Jews believed that they're coming into Palestine and the Zionist project as a whole might be welcomed by the Palestinians. I mean, of course, there was a, a, a opposition a, to the Zionist project, political opposition and so on, but, but they believed that, okay, we will bring, you know, better economy and better education and better hospital and the, the Arabs of Palestine would understand that the coming of the Jews into Palestine is, is good for everybody. And the, and the massacres of 1929 proved it to be wrong, that the Palestinians are not interested uh, to be to make Palestine into into a Jewish a Jewish state. It changed the view of the Jews towards the Palestinians, and internally, for example, the fact that uh, the the main massacres of of Jews by Arabs in 1929 were conducted in areas in which there was no defense forces of the Jews. I mean, the Haganah, the main defense force of, uh, at that time, the only uh, defense force, so to speak, under Jewish underground, uh, had no presence in, 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 in Hebron, and uh, neither in, in, uh, in, in, in Tzfat. So, and these were the two places where most Jews were killed. So for Jews, it was a proof that you, you have to be strong and you have to be armed and you have to be you have to, to arrange uh, armed uh, uh, forces. And this is also the time when when you know the the ideal type of the new Jew uh, moved from the Jew who started to work instead of being you know a money lender or whatever, like the typical stereotype. And they started to work in agriculture and in, 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 in the industry. So this was a, the ideal type of the Jew uh, at the beginning of Zionism. But after 1929, there was also the, the warrior, the fighter, the soldier. So the, the place of, some, some people would say, the, the, a militaristic approach within Zionism. But it was, you know, the debate between defense or offense in militarism. But, but the the centrality of power in Zionism started in 1929. So this is why it's a year zero from, 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 a, a, from a Jewish perspective. And the second point is about the role of religion in the conflict. And the role of religion is the role of Jerusalem. You know, for, for, for many people in the labor movement, Jerusalem was not that important. And the Temple Mount was not that important. You know, Berkelt and Nelson 
of course, he visited Jerusalem and so on, but he he he, he wrote about the 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 kibbutzim in, in the in Jezreel Valley and the kibbutzniki, the people who work there. Uh, that they are the new Kohens. You don't need Kohens or priests in the temple because the new priests, the new Zionist priests, are those who go and do the the farming of the land. So it was not part of uh, of the of the of the ideology and of the discourse of the mainstream of the labor movement. But when the struggle or the Palestinian struggle made Jerusalem as a focus of their national identity, it strengthened also in or among Zionists the attachment to Jerusalem and the attachment to the holy places. And this also can be seen after 67, of course, that you you can see how uh, both sides, you know, from Islamic movements on the one hand and Jewish movements on the other hand, actually they feed one another uh, when it comes to the Temple Mount. Because the, 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 the Temple Mount is the place in which the debate which religion is a true religion should be decided. So, so, so this, 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 this is the dynamics and, uh, uh, and, and this dynamic started or became more, more uh, visible in 1929. I worked on the riots of 1920, the Nibi Musa riots, and one thing that I kind of argued and understood is that that happened. Uh, some people were killed. But the communities kind of like found ways to mend or bridge the, the, the differences for a few years to come. But the feeling is that after 1929, the level of violence and organization changed to a point where communities began to stop talking to each other. I was wondering your view about how relations between Jews and Arabs, uh, obviously Christian and Muslims, changed as a result of the particular violence that took place in Jerusalem. I see it a bit differently, I think, in the sense that uh, what we see in the last hundred years is exactly the, these circles of violence, you know, in 20, in 29, in 36, uh, then you have the Nakba in 48, and you have the War of 67, and you have you know, the First Intifada of 87, and the Al-Aqsa Intifada, which is, of course, after Jerusalem, in 2000, and you have and after in two, uh, 2015, 2016, we had the, the Knives Intifada also started in Jerusalem. Homes of each other, because this is uncommon, except they're very close friends. But they, they go to the same restaurants, they go to the same malls, they go to the same uh, shops, and so on. So, so, so you have usually, uh, for example, in 2000, a couple of months that you do not see uh, Jews in the, in the Muslim quarter of the old city of Jerusalem, except for settlers who live there. And then after, uh, you know, after the tension uh, declines, uh, you can see them again. And, uh, and, and because I, I, I do visit in both times, you know, so you, you can see people uh, buy falafel from a father of a, a member of Hamasel who blow up a bus in Jerusalem and they even don't know that this is the father of, of that person. And uh, and uh, and you you can see uh, people buy you know shirts from the father of the again Hamas member who was the one who was involved in the kidnapping uh, of Nachshon Waxman, uh, an Israeli soldier that was kidnapped in the mid 90s, and, and so on. So 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 you know it's like it's like people don't want to see each other for a while and then they like they understand that they don't have a choice but uh, to see each other. But in 1929, what happened is also that, for example, if, if you if, if we speak about community like Hebron, so the Jewish community of Hebron was, you know, the number of uh, Jews who were killed there was uh, 69, and, and it was about 15% uh, of the community, and they were uprooted from Hebron, except for a few families who tried to go back, to settle back, and then they had to... to to move again to Jerusalem when when the the revolt of 1936 started, so it's not that there is a line that 
you know, after 1929, there is no uh, contact between communities. No, there is contact, but uh, this contact is, 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 is charged with, with suspicion, uh, sometimes with hatred, sometimes with inconvenience. You don't feel the same because you know that it can change again into, into violence from both sides, of course. Palestinians also for 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 a couple of months they would uh, boycott Israel uh, Zionist product in the in, in uh, after 29 and, uh, and and they wouldn't work with with Jews you know for example in 36 37 and then again you, you know so we have life and we have politics and we have religion and and, and they are they are interconnected but uh, none of them I mean neither ideology nor a, a, a religion is the only, or even together are the only, only, only elements that shape the behavior, the daily behavior of people. I mean, you can hate Arabs and work with Arabs and even laugh with Arabs and go together to eat pizza with an Arab. But politically, to to no, I, they don't have any rights here, and you have to to kill all of them or whatever. On the one hand, and and, and this is exactly what 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 life is, you know, this mixture of uh, between ideology and needs and, and, and friendships and, and, and uh, political views. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Awesome. It's quite fascinating to think that there's a circle of life there are certain tragic events, trauma is absorbed, not necessarily analyzed, but is absorbed and then life goes on. Maybe not for the reason that we hope for that, but certainly the necessity of daily life. I want to ask you something, a specific term that's uh, trying to personally explain in terms of like how this idea may have influenced uh, Arab-Jewish relations, particularly throughout the British mandate. And it is an Hebrew term, geulev, this idea of redemption. This is a very basic term in, in Judaism and in Zionism. I mean, this is a story of, of, of Zionism, the redemption of the land and the redemption of the Jewish people. And this is a continuation of Jewish tradition. We have to remember, and I guess most of us and most of the listeners remember that for Jews, the, the existence of of, of the diaspora, of Jews outside of the Holy Land, is a result of the sins of the Jews. You know, this is the, the, the holy history, the Jewish holy history. I mean, the, because of the sins of the Jews, there were, they were exiled, exiled from, from Jerusalem, from Eretz Israel or Palestine. But the exile is a temporary situation. 
And this is the difference between Islam and Christianity on the one hand and Judaism on the other hand. Because according to Judaism, the, the Jewish people remained the chosen people. And uh, even if uh, they are in exile, it is only temporary. And God, through the Messiah or in other ways, would bring them back to the Holy Land. And this is a, a redemption of the people. And when they create their, 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 their kingdom in the Holy Land, this is a redemption of the land. And all the life of the Jew are, are aimed at this redemption. Even if personally, you know, you prefer to, to stay in Los Angeles or you prefer to, to stay in, in, in Berlin in, uh, or, or in Marrakesh or everywhere, but uh, as, a, as a person, but as a, a collective, you know that the end result of the world, so to speak, is that Jews would come back to the Holy Land. Now, when the Zionist movement started as a political movement, they had this spirit, but they used political terms. Now, the redemption had also, because the, the socialist stream within Zionism, they had also the idea of the redemption of the individual. And the, the redemption of the individual is not by studying Torah, but by work, that you start to work the you know, in agriculture and so on, as we, as we, as we, as we said. So the idea of redemption is all the time there, and and and, and there, there are maybe debates between different uh, among 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 Jews. What is the most important uh, or, or visible or I mean way for redemption? But of course, all all the story of Zionism and of the Jewish people is about redemption. And now, uh, you know, in, in later times, there was uh, the debate whether uh, the Jewish people is a, a nation like all other nations, or they have to, to keep their abnormality. Uh, and this debate, we also have it today. But during the period before the establishment of the State of Israel, when the, 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 Zionist, move, the Zionist movement as the national movement of the Jewish people struggled to establish a national home or a national nation state for, for the Jews, it was part of the idea of redemption. So, so, so for sure, you cannot understand a, a, a Jewish history and Zionist history without the term redemption. I guess the point is that, uh, you know, also given the context, like, as you mentioned earlier, like, you know, perhaps little knowledge about Christianity. You, you were talking about it, and like as someone who grew up uh, in a Christian environment, often redemption is, as you mentioned, is understood as an individual idea of redeeming from, you know, a particular situation. And and so it's it's interesting, fascinating, but also daunting in a sense to see that well, the redemption here becomes also the plight of other people, that the redemption of uh, uh, of the Jews at large has to go through somehow the displacement of, you know, in this case, the Palestinians. So I, I guess where it, this is like my struggle to understand this term and trying to understand how particularly Zionists engage with this idea that you have one idea of redemption, but that also has repercussion on other people. So how do you deal with, with, with that particular term? So I was wondering about your view about this. Well, First of all, I think the main uh, difference between Jewish, uh, so to speak, redemption and Christian redemption is exactly that, that the Jewish redemption is national. We don't speak about redemption of the individual in Judaism. I don't say that in Zionism you don't have the, this redemption, but this is a kind of Marxist influence. It's not uh, 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 out of, 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 of Jewish tradition. In the Jewish tradition, our, we speak about our redemption, the redemption of the people of Israel. This is a redemption, and the redemption of the people of Israel is when they return to the land of Israel. Now you have the question of the other inhabitants of this land, you know, the Palestinians. And here, as we all know, there are different views among Zionists about, about it. First of all, if you, if, you, if you go back to the, to, to, to the Jewish Bible and you remember, you can be sorry for it, you can be against it, but you cannot ignore it that also when 
you know, the sons of Israel came from Egypt and they entered the Holy Land uh, under Yoshua Binun. You know, they were the seven Canaanite tribes in this place, and the order was to expel them or to kill them. So in this sense, I don't, I, I, I do not mean that this is a Zionist idea, but this option is there because it is there. And it is even more interesting to see that, for example, there was a, 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 a kind of a debate in the in the in the Congress, American Congress and the Senate in 1923, whether it, it was the attitude towards the Balfour Declaration. And one of the senators uh, from from New York State, he said, you know, the Arabs of Palestine, the, the Jews have the right to this land. This is written in the Bible. We all believe, you know, there are this kind of, of uh, Protestants from different uh, uh, congregations, uh, many of them. Uh, 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 so we know that the Jews have the right. We, we just on, on Sunday they said it. On Sunday we we have been to the to the church and we heard that the land of Israel is is, is of the Jews. So there is not there should not be any debate about it. And someone asked, so what about the Arabs of Palestine? And he said they have three three options: whether uh, they accept to be under a Jewish rule, or they take money and sell their land and leave the country. And if they don't want these two options, they should be expelled. So this was not a Zionist idea. I mean, the Zionists officially were against expulsion of the Arabs. They said we, we bring blessing to all of them and we, but, but you have this, I, I would call it biblical view, uh, more among Christians than among Jews that, you know, they should be expelled if they don't want to be under Jewish uh, rule. I mean, it's fine. It's not their place. They can go back to Arabia. What are they doing in here? I mean, so 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 the redemption of the of, of the Jews and it goes back to Jerusalem. I mean, because. By definition, I mean, you have this holy place, holy city of Jerusalem. And this holy city of Jerusalem is holy for Jews, for Christians, and for Muslims. And now you can be tolerant or try to be tolerant. And you say, you know, this is holy for everyone. Let everyone, you know, pray here and live here peacefully. This is a possibility. But because most people, they, I mean, in religions, they have the sense that we are the true religion. And if we are the true religion, the other religions are not the true religion. If they are not the true religion, what right they have here? How come that they have a right in, in, in holy place if, if, they, if, they, if they invent religion or, you know, if they, if they, if they believe in, in the wrong, they, they pray to the wrong God or they... So, so, so it's not that if we speak about religion, it means that there, there, there is no a way to live together. But in many periods in history, People used to believe that, you know, two different religions cannot uh, agree on, on, on such issues. This is a fascinating uh, topic, which would take uh, an entire other uh, podcast episode, but I need to move forward. And uh, because you talked about options, this reminds me of the options that essentially the Palestinians were given somehow after 67. And either to stay or to leave. So I was wondering, you know, picking up uh, from your work, uh, uh, the rise and fall of Arab Jerusalem, which I really would suggest uh, listeners to pick up is a short book, but I think it's very, very, very relevant. What is the rise and then the fall of Arab Jerusalem? I mean, the, the, the rise of Arab Jerusalem is following the, the 67 war, uh, more and more Muslims throughout the world became much more interested in Jerusalem. And this is a kind of rule, you know, when, when your holy places are under attack, you are more interested in it. If they are not under attack, okay, you can go pray, you can go to a pub, I mean, no problem. But if they are under attack, you have to defend them. And you, if you have to defend them, if you are close, if you are from uh, in, in another place, if you are far away from the holy place, so you, you donate money and you, uh, you know, you go, you go to, uh, 
demonstrations and so on and so forth. So Jerusalem became uh, received much more attention in the Islamic world. So this is one issue. The other issue is that the, 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 the West Bank, after the occupation, the West Bank and Gaza became under military rule. But Jerusalem, because it was unofficially annexed to the state of Israel, there was no military rule here. And because there was no military rule on the Palestinians of Jerusalem, they had relatively more freedoms. Uh, they have more freedoms of, uh, of uh, for example, of publications. So the main newspapers, Palestinian newspapers, uh, were published in Jerusalem at that time. Even the newspapers of, uh, of the PLO and of Al-Fatih, I mean Al-Fajr and Al-Shaib, and also others like uh, Al-Quds and Nahar, all these newspapers were published in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem also the, the, the a national theater of the, of the Palestinians was in Jerusalem, in Hakawati. And, uh, you know, all this uh, national or semi-national institution, it was, first of all, because Jerusalem is the capital of the Palestinian people. Not, not many people know, but Jerusalem was, was announced as the Palestinian capital before it was announced as the Israeli capital, because there was a short-lived Palestinian government in, in, in uh, 1948, the old Palestine government in, in uh, uh, September 48, and they announced Jerusalem as their capital. But, but Israel, David Ben-Gurion, announced that Jerusalem is the capital only at the end of 1949. So, so of course, it is, Jerusalem is, is a core for Palestinian identity for many reasons. It goes back to, to the days of Saladin that we mentioned and the, the, uh, the attempts of, of, of the Crusades later to reoccupy Jerusalem and the, the Ottomans, they built the walls of Jerusalem in order to keep it from, from another you know, you know, European in, 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 uh, 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 crusade and, and, and so on. So Jerusalem is the heart of at least one of the hearts, but I would say even the heart of Palestinian nationalism. And, and you know, the leadership of the Palestinian national movement during the mandate, Hajamin al-Husseini and yeah, even his rivals and Shashibis, it, it is Jerusalem. When it was under attack, or when it was occupied by, by, by Israel in 1967, they, they, they were uh, uh, from all over uh, Palestine. The combination that on the one hand is the most important area, on the other hand, it's not under, under, under military government, made it the actual uh, 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 capital of the Palestinians. Uh, the meetings of, of, uh, of the leadership of the Palestinians in the West Bank were in Jerusalem in Beta Shark or the Orient House at the, after, after 1980 when it was established and so on. So this is the rise of Jerusalem. This is the rise of Jerusalem. I mean, and, and Jerusalem was open. I mean, the buses from, from uh, Jerusalem went to Hebron, to Bethlehem, uh, to the villages, uh, to the, between Bethlehem and Hebron, I mean, to the south from, from uh, Jaffa Gate, and, and buses to, uh, to Ramallah, and to Anata and to to to, to, to Nablus and uh, where uh, went from 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 Nablus Gate. So and people came and and, and uh, Falahim came every day to sell their products. So it was a real a real capital. I, I mean economically and politically and culturally and so on and so forth. And this is the rise of Jerusalem. What happened is 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 uh, is very sad. I mean it it started with a with the Oslo Agreement and, and uh, establishment of the Palestinian Authority in Ramallah. And so, first of all, there was the Palestinian Authority with its capital and, 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 and you know, organizations and ministries and so on outside of Jerusalem. And also it became easier to NGOs and to cultural uh, enterprises to be outside of Jerusalem, to be in Ramallah or in Bethlehem, because the, the, now it's not under military rule, but under Palestinian Authority. So this was the first stage, and more budgets went to these areas and to Jerusalem. And then also there was the, 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 the Israeli decision not to let Palestinians outside of Jerusalem to enter the city, because the city is part of Israel, and they are from the West Bank. They have no connection to Israel, according to this Israeli view. So Jerusalem, which was beforehand the center of Palestine, became a, a town under siege. 
you know, a border town that you cannot enter it. And and after the you know after the Alaxa Alaxa uh, Intifada or, and, and and the suicide attacks in Jerusalem, so for security reasons and for political reasons, the wall was built around Jerusalem. So it became really very difficult to enter the city for Palestinians. So so I wouldn't say that it is a marginal city. Of of course, ideologically, religiously, and all, all other aspects is still, you know, the main city of Jerusalem. But it's not a political center anymore, uh, and it's not a cultural center anymore. It's not a commercial center anymore, and so on. So we are in a different situation. This is the fall of Jerusalem. It it has to do also with the identity of the of the Palestinians in Jerusalem. That that politically they are not connected to the Palestinian Authority or even to their rivals of the Palestinian Authority, for example, Hamas. In the same way that that Palestinian is other city uh, related to, because they, they 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 are not under direct influence of, of these movements, or of these forces. So this is the fall of our Arab Jerusalem. You know, the, the, uh, there is no leadership. You know, since Faisal uh, Hussein Abu Abed passed away in 2001, if I'm not wrong, there is no strong leadership. There there, there are no committees. Uh, for the whole city, you have in a couple of neighborhoods, and you have, but you don't have a citywide uh, leadership of the Palestinians. So they are in a different situation uh, if we compare to the 80s. A previous guest of the podcast talked about also the question of the blue idea and how this is essentially creating a a two-tier system in Jerusalem, where you have a population, uh, you know, that belongs to the top group and a population that belongs to a, a lower level group. And I was wondering how you see the introduction of the uh, blue ID, um, you know, in, in the relationship between uh, Jews and Arabs. No, the, the, the blue ID was introduced in 1967, but it didn't have the same meaning until 1994, and more so until the 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 the, the wall was built, because before and also if you are from Jenin or from Kurkarem, from Hebron or from uh, Surif, you could go to Tel Aviv and you could go anywhere. So it it didn't create this kind of you know uh, stratas or whatever we call it. And this changed after 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 uh, after uh, let's say after 2002 more. But uh, for Jews, when they look, you know, first of all, most of the most of the Israeli Jews, they, they don't really know that the, 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 the Palestinians in Jerusalem, for example, they are not citizens, but only residents, that they don't have the right to vote to the Knesset and, and so on. I mean, people are not very familiar with what they see as small details. Of course, for Palestinians, it's crucial, but for Israelis, I mean, and and the, so sometimes it it also it's about politics because some people for them all the Arabs are the same so they can be from Hebron from East Jerusalem or from uh, you know Kfar Qasim I mean within the Green Line all are Arabs all are the same and some people they do this this uh, differentiation but this differentiation uh, for them that means that uh, the Arabs of Israel are ours, and they have, you know, the duty to, you know, to be loyal. And the uh, Palestinian in the West Bank, they are the other. I mean, they are Palestinians. They are struggling against us. And th these are people who, you know, that for them citizenship is crucial. That they believe in the idea of, of uh, citizenship. And if they are citizens, they should be equal. And uh, and they also have uh, uh, duties, not only rights. So this is a different view, and and here again, you know the the Palestinians of Jerusalem are not easy to swallow. So what are they? They have the blue ideas, but they are not citizens. So so uh, many people now they talk about the Israelization, the process of Israelization of the Palestinians in East Jerusalem, because the more and more 
students in high school in East Jerusalem to study according to the Israeli curriculum and uh, more and more they study Hebrew. They work more, more and more in Israeli institutions, not only in the low level, you know, work like in 67 or the 70s, but also uh, they can work as doctors and nurses and uh, in other in, uh, in other uh, uh, jobs. So, so, but but still, it is not clear. I think it's still we, we are more than 50 years after after what you called uh, the unification of Jerusalem, and uh, the status of the Palestinians is not clear. The future, of course, is not clear. Uh, what they want, it's not only that it is not clear, but it's 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 not always a good question because many people they want different things. So, so even if you can say that 70 percent. They want this. It means that 30% do not want this. So there are many, many views among Palestinians about wh what is good for them, and what to do when the the what is good for the individual is not according to what is good to the nation. So, for example, the, the to free Jerusalem, to liberate Jerusalem, uh, to make Jerusalem, uh, you know, part of the Palestinian Authority or pa Palestinian state. It can be the fulfillment of a national dream, but if it means that there will be border between uh, East Jerusalem and West Jerusalem, so many of the East Jerusalemites, the Palestinians in East Jerusalem, they would lose their source of income, their their their, their jobs. So 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 you always have this tension between the the individual interest and the national interest, and in Jerusalem you feel it very well. It's so intricated and complex that it's really impossible to think and how to solve all of these if, if, if. As we reach the end of this conversation, I wanted to bring you back at the very beginning. You talked about young Hillel Cohen going around Jerusalem, and I was wondering about uh, contemporary Hillel Cohen going around Jerusalem. How do you feel about the city nowadays? <laughs> Look, I, I think the... the I, I mentioned that when I started to walk around Jerusalem, the tradition of, of to welcome people to, you know, by Palestinians to their homes was very common. Common today, it's not common at all. I mean, I can walk days and nights, and nobody would <laughs> invite me. It it has a little to do with changing in in, in Palestinian, uh, you know, life. I think they invite each other also less and less. And also, you know, we are in the age of, of the Internet and it's not like uh, those days that you uh, we didn't have anything. We just so 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 the very feeling of walking around and talking to people is very, very different. Also, you know, there were maybe there also will be a, a times of naivete. I mean, people would talk to you and they they, they they would believe that there is solution to to the conflict and they that you know we all bani adamin as you say human beings and we all want we all want peace and so on and but what happened in the the, the failure of the oslo process made many people very cynical uh, very cynical towards the the opportunity to reach a, a a real peace, and also the many Palestinians became cynical towards uh, Palestinian leadership, uh, and uh, so it's it's really very different. You don't have the enthusiasm of of, of uh, the the Palestinian organization of the 70s, and not uh, the the hopes of the 80s, uh, and not the beginning of a building Palestinian state of the 90s. So we remain with the despair of the of the third millennia. After 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 the second intifada, so people don't have ideology in the same way. I mean, people of course they have their values and they have their ideology, but uh, if, if we go back to the 70s and 80s, the ideology was connected to parties and to organizations. If you are leftist, you are in the Jabba Shabi, in the Popular Front or Democratic Front. If you are mainstream, you are in the Fatah. If you are Islamist, you are. So, so, so your ideology connected also to to a social fabric. 
And now people <clears throat> much less organized. It's true also for, for, for Israelis, by the way, but in a different way. Uh, so people are much less organized. They have their values, but these values are, are, are less to do with political organizations. So also less to do with political activity. Uh, I wouldn't say that we are in the age of uh, the end of politics. This is uh, too much to say, but I, I think we we uh, we are not in in the age of organized politics. This was uh, Professor Ilel Quen currently an associate professor of the Department of Islamic and Middle Eastern Studies at Hebrew University, authors of uh, a large number of volumes, but I just want to mention here uh, The Rise and Fall of Arab Jerusalem and uh, Year Zero, uh, The Origin of the Arab-Israeli Conflict, 1929. Hillel, thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. It was very interesting for me to talk with you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Jerusalem Unplugged. Thanks and I'll see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.